Hey, welcome to Stories After Midnight. I appreciate you stopping by and checking out this video and or podcast episode. The story today is, my boyfriend and his friends have a monthly game night, and last night, I disrupted their sinister tradition by Paranormal Watermelon on Reddit. So hope you enjoy it. Stick around to the end so I can ramble about liking and subscribing. It was my fifth day with Kevin. A nice, albeit somewhat awkwardly silent, dinner and drinks in his apartment, followed by the main spectacle of the night. Monthly game night with some of his closest buddies, and plenty of booze to go around. We hadn't been going out for very long, didn't know each other before matching on Tinder a few weeks after I had first moved here, so I was excited to finally meet some of his friends, and hopefully make a couple of my own. Ready to go? He asked me breaking my gaze that was fixed on his ornate bookshelf and TV display in the living room. I smiled, taking his arm and following him out the door. I had never dated anyone like Kevin before. Usually I land goofy or geeky guys who I can laugh with for hours and who don't care that I don't always wear the cutest clothes, because our dates were mostly just us watching nerdy movies in sweatpants anyways. But Kevin was the kind of guy who I'd imagine ends up with your stereotypical high school prom queen. Certainly not me. He was incredibly attractive, with a swoop of soft amber-brown hair, a clean-shaven, sculpted jawline, soft tan skin, and defined muscles. While I couldn't describe exactly what his job was, I knew it had something to do with finance for some investment firm I couldn't name, headquartered here in New York, and I knew it paid him enough for him to be able to afford his large and luxurious apartment, while still taking me out to expensive restaurants and nightclubs on our dates. Though he could be distant at times, and he wasn't as warm or light-hearted as I usually prefer, he was charming, full of interesting stories and just the right amount of playful affection. Plus, he'd been here for a long time, and I was hoping he could show me around Brooklyn and introduce me to the right crowd. You're seriously going to love it. He told me once we were in the car. There was a grin spread across his face, but his eyes were locked on the road. Being in such a large, bustling city full of nightlife and tourist attractions, I found it hard to believe that a man who could schmooze his way into any bar or club in town would get this excited about staying in with his friends and playing board games. I hadn't figured that part out yet. The rest of the night was strictly a mystery I would soon unravel. Maybe he did have a nerdy side after all. So, are we just getting wasted and playing like Monopoly all night? I asked, drumming my fingers on the seat. Not exactly, he replied with a hint of a smirk on his face. And I probably won't be drinking much tonight since it's my turn to lead the games. That was the tradition. As he had once explained to me, each gathering, one member would be responsible for creating, choosing, and facilitating the night's activities. But, they were almost always held in an apartment belonging to Kevin's friend Mitch, which, unfortunately for us, was all the way on the outskirts of the borough. Oh, so is it like uh, Dungeons and Dragons? I teased. Do you need to stay sober to DM? Nah, it's not D&D, he said flatly. That'd take too long. I was taken aback. You've actually heard of that game? Kevin raised an eyebrow, and I couldn't tell if he was slightly annoyed or just toying with me. Yeah, I know what it is. I don't live under a rock. Besides, I've played it before. Really? Him? 
yeah, my friends and I have done it all. I tried every game, eaten at every restaurant, visited every theater, puked in every establishment that serves alcohol. It all feels the same. Just painfully bland after a while. He gripped the steering wheel tighter, and I felt a twinge of nervousness as the car sped up. That's why we created a game night in the first place. To experience something thrilling and new, to escape from the monotony of it all. There's nothing new to do in Brooklyn anymore. While I trusted Kevin's judgment, I was skeptical. What could possibly be awaiting us at Mitch's place that was more exciting than the entire city that never sleeps? Regardless of what Kevin had planned, I did feel more comfortable participating in an intimate gathering of his trusted friends rather than in the middle of an unfamiliar dance floor with an unforgiving sea of groping strangers. Gotcha. I'm sure tonight will be fun, I responded, not wanting to provoke him any further, as I had heard his list of woes about Brooklyn a few times before. This whole life has lost its luster bit was getting old. Was it too early in our relationship to suggest therapy? The rest of the car ride was painfully silent. I could sense a mixture of nervousness and excitement in Kevin. Mitch's apartment was nicer than I expected. While it was in a rundown and nearly vacant complex, I was pleasantly surprised when Kevin knocked on the door and it swung open, allowing for an outpouring of inviting warm light and floral aromas. Kevin and Angie are here, I heard our greeter, probably Mitch, boom, followed by a buzz of excitement. He extended his hand to me as Kevin and I stepped inside, giving me a wide, toothy smile. I've heard so much about you. It's so nice to finally meet you. Same to you, I smiled back, shaking his hand. Thanks for having me. Kevin's been hyping up tonight for a while, so I'm excited to be here. Probably Mitch made eye contact with Kevin and winked. I'm sure he has. The living room, while clean and well-maintained, was rather barren, only having a small flat-screen TV, a black leather couch, and a couple of chairs. There were no decorations from what I could see. Mitch's bachelor pad was purely for function, which didn't surprise me since my brother is the exact same way. Two of the guys who were sitting on the couch watching TV turned around and rose to greet me. Hey, Angie, the one with long, dark brown hair said. I'm Todd, and this is Wayne. He motioned to the skinny man covered in freckles with a curly ginger beard next to him. Glad you could make it. I smiled back and Kevin took my hand, leading me into the kitchen. Over here we've got DJ. He pointed to a larger man with a brown hoodie sitting on one of the bar stools before turning his attention to another man in the kitchen with pale skin and stringy black hair. And then that's Tate. Can I get you a glass of wine? Tate asked, shuffling bottles of alcohol around on the kitchen counter. Kevin tells me you like Franzia. Sure, that'd be great. I laughed, slightly embarrassed by my cheap taste in wine. He poured me a glass from the box before opening an expensive-looking bottle of Merlot for himself. Where are Jason and Mackie? Kevin asked, looking around the apartment. They're in the guest room, Mitch chimed in from behind me still sitting up for later tonight, as per your instructions. Kevin nodded in approval. The apartment had two bedrooms, the door to one of which was open so I could see the unusually tidy bed and barren decor, but the door to the second one was shut. The room fell awkwardly silent, 
and I cringed slightly at the lack of chemistry between the friend group, though maybe that's just a guy thing. All of the guys were staring at Kevin and I, waiting for one of us to say something. Well, Mitch started, breaking the silence. How about we do a little toast? He raised his cup. I couldn't tell what he was drinking. To Kevin's plan for the night, and to our esteemed guest, Angie. A scattering of, to Kevin and Angie's, awkwardly arose from the small group. I raised my glass to my lips and drank, following Mitch's lead, and a nagging feeling of unease washed over me as everyone else watched. Was I doing something wrong? While others made small talk, I scooted closer to Kevin. So when is this spectacular event supposed to start? I whispered. Soon, he stated, placing a hand on my waist and gazing around the room. We just have to wait for Jason and Maggie to finish setting up. I raised an eyebrow. We're going to be hanging out in that bedroom all night? No. I mean kinda. Kevin sighed. You'll see. Just be patient. I got the feeling Kevin and his crew weren't keen on being interrogated. He turned away from me abruptly. Hey Mitch, how about we put on that playlist I sent you? Mitch nodded, pulling out his phone, and I heard a little beep as it connected to a Bluetooth speaker somewhere. Slow songs by indie artists I didn't recognize began playing, and Kevin smiled at me, eyeing me up and down. Before I could ask him another question, a tall man with incredibly dark brown hair and a hooked nose stepped out of the bedroom, closing the door behind him so as not to reveal what was on the other side. The man smiled at me and extended his hand. Angie, right? I smiled back and shook his hand. I'm Jason. He turned to address both Kevin and I, holding up a Polaroid camera. Look what I found. Do you guys want your picture taken? We'd love that, Kevin said, grabbing me by my waist again. We posed together as Jason pointed his camera at us and snapped the picture. With a little whir, the camera spit out a small photograph. Jason grabbed it and shook it before setting it gently on the counter. I was about to go over to the picture when the door to the ominous second bedroom swung open. Once again, I couldn't see the inside of the dark room, but the man who stepped out had eerily familiar dirty blonde hair and was sporting a faded orange hoodie I've seen many times before. Hey, Mackie. I heard Kevin warmly greet him as he carefully shut the door. Mackie turned around and started to say something but quickly cut himself off once his eyes met mine. My recognition was immediately confirmed once I saw his face. It was Jonathan. The color drained from his face as he stared at me like I was a ghost. Angela? I gave Jonathan an amused smirk. <laughs> Mackie, huh? What's that about? Jonathan's eyes darted around the room. Was he embarrassed by me or something? I could almost feel him tensing up as he stammered. It's just, it's just something the guys call me. From the corner of my eye, I saw Kevin raise an eyebrow. You two know each other? Jonathan stayed silent, and I could almost swear I saw him start to tremble. Confused, I jumped in. Yeah, he's my brother. Immediately, the rest of the room fell into stunned silence. I gave him an awkward smile. I didn't know you hung out with Kevin. While one of the reasons I moved to Brooklyn was to be closer to Jonathan, I didn't see him much as he always has been a very private and reclusive person. I looked to Kevin for an explanation, but he was staring Jonathan down. You didn't tell us you had a sister? He said coolly, as any trace of cheer left his face. Jonathan locked his eyes with me, 
You didn't tell me Kevin was the guy you were going out with. His subtle hostility stunned me. Well, um, you and I haven't had much time to catch up lately, I squeaked. Besides, Kev wanted to keep it on the down low since this is pretty new. I waited for Jonathan to say something. But he remained silent, his eyes jumping from me to Kevin and back again. Trying to save the group from this painfully awkward lull, I turned to Kevin to fill the silence. Is something wrong? What, did John and I accidentally ruin your game plan somehow? Kevin remained focused on my brother. No, hon. Everything's fine. Well, now wait, Jonathan sputtered frantically, stepping closer to Kevin. It's, it's just that... It, this, this isn't this, the sort of game you'd want to play with family. I snorted. <laughs> what is it? Some kind of freaky sex game? What the hell have I gotten myself into? I turned to Kevin for reassurance. It's not, right? He ignored me, still staring Jonathan down. Glancing around the room, I noticed everyone staring at us. They all had the same impossible-to-read blank stare I've seen on both Kevin and Jonathan many times. My head was starting to ache. Look, Kevin, Jonathan finally began. Why don't we just reschedule our plans for tonight? We... I've been planning this for a long time, Kevin interrupted. His unrelenting voice sent a twinge of fear through my chest. It's gonna be good. One of the guys on the couch, honestly, I'd already forgotten his name, chimed in from behind us. Maggie, if you don't think you can make this work, maybe you can just leave and sit this one out. Murmurs of agreement arose from the rest of the crowd. Something in my gut didn't feel right. Who the hell takes game nights this seriously? And what could my boyfriend possibly have planned that upset my brother so much? Can someone please tell me what the hell is going on? I demanded trying not to let my unease creep into my voice. Can't ruin the surprise, Angie. Kevin stated through gritted teeth, still not looking at me. You'll know soon enough. This was getting ridiculous. Part of me wanted to barge past them and see what was in the bedroom for myself. Another part of me just wanted to go home and escape the nightmarishly awkward atmosphere. I didn't know whether to feel bad for somehow ruining the vibe of the night, or frustrated with Jonathan and Kevin for keeping me completely in the dark about what is going on. If I was going to make it through the night, I was going to need more wine, although I could feel the franzia they had given me earlier start to do the trick. Angela, my brother started, maybe we should just... Angie. Kevin quickly butted in, finally turning to me. Why don't you go to the car and grab the liquor from the trunk? Will Mackie and I smooth out some details for tonight? He fished around in his pockets, grabbed my hands, and dumped his keys into them. The moment the cold metal hit my palms, I felt the throbbing in my head intensify, and my eyes began to droop. Something wasn't right. I stared down at the keys in my hands. For a brief moment, I considered taking his keys and driving home but I was starting to feel tipsy and I couldn't just steal Kevin's car and leave him stranded. The last thing I wanted to do was piss him off even further and cement myself as the crazy girlfriend, especially if this game night crap really was just harmless fun. At the end of the day, this was their tradition of sorts, and guys take all sorts of dumb stuff too seriously. So maybe I should just let them have their fun and do what I can to keep the peace. Fine. I knew for a fact there wasn't any alcohol left in Kevin's car, 
but I decided to play along and let them work out their issues so we could get this night over with. The room was once again engulfed in uncomfortable silence as everyone's eyes followed me out the door. It slowly became harder and harder to move, and I tried not to stumble as I stepped out of the apartment and into the brisk, fresh air. As soon as the door shut behind me, I heard the muffled voice of Kevin exclaim, What the hell was that, dude? I could still hear them. Intrigued, I pressed my ear up to the door and leaned in for support as I felt my balance slipping away. A voice, likely Jonathan's, shouted something from a distance, to which Kevin angrily responded, We've planned for this far too long. We gotta go through with it. If we don't, we can't, dude. That's my sister. Jonathan's protest rang throughout the room. Something in his voice confirmed tonight's plan were more sinister than a silly little game. So? Kevin replied, sounding like he was stepping away from the door. It shouldn't matter. Nothing matters except for tonight. That's the whole point. That's what you signed up for. I heard his speech emphasized with a shove. I know, Jonathan fired back. But if there's a connection, they might... His voice trailed off as the group moved away from earshot. Damn. Quietly peeled myself off the door and darted over to the window, crouching down and resting my head on the wall. The sudden movement sent my head spinning and my stomach churning. Worry began creeping up in my throat. What the hell was happening to me? I didn't have that much to drink at dinner, which was a while ago now, and I only had one small glass of wine here. I held my head in my hands as I tried to calm my breathing down. Come on, Maggie, Kevin barked, startling me with how close to the window he sounded. You screwed us. How can you not tell us your sister lives here? Me? Jonathan scoffed from further away. You're the one who didn't tell me about the girl you'd found. I wanted to throw up. What did he mean, found? My head was swimming and foggy. I could just barely make out Kevin ranting about talking and showing pictures to some of the other guys. I was losing my ability to follow his dialogue. Angry shouting erupted from the room as multiple men fired back and forth. Finally, I heard Jonathan speak up as the room began to quiet down. Alright, guys, I think I can fix this. I have an idea, so just follow my lead, but I swear to God we need to be more careful next time. This declaration elicited more angry shouting. They were starting to really scare me, and my vision was beginning to blur. I needed to go home. Screw game night. Either they could do it without me, or I really was in danger. Pulling out my phone, I stood up from the window. I'll just leave these keys here, call an Uber, and sneak down to the parking lot before they notice I'm gone. My finger was hovering over the app when I suddenly heard the apartment door swing open. Squinting, I turned towards the door in a panic and saw the figures of Jonathan and Kevin standing in the doorway. Angie? Their mouths were moving but I couldn't understand what they were saying, and I began to hyperventilate. I, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find, there, I, there was no, uh, nothing in the car. I slurred. It felt like my mouth was made of jello, and it was becoming harder and harder to move it. I tried to slowly back up, but I felt myself swaying and stumbling, and they rushed towards me, grabbing my arms and holding me up. Kevin's grip on me was strong almost to the point of hurting. It's okay, Jonathan reassured. Let's get you inside. Go home, I murmured. I gotta... I don't feel well. 
They began to drag me inside, and I was too disoriented to resist. As they led me back through the apartment, the music volume grew louder, and a loop of slow and steady piano keys began playing. The rest of Kevin's friends were talking to me, but for some reason, I could only focus on the song, which now featured a man singing in a soft yet ominously monotone voice. Kevin and Jonathan sat me down on the couch as one of their friends brought me a glass of water. People were swirling around me, and I could see Jonathan arguing with Kevin again. Words dumped out of my mouth, trying to form an apology for ruining the night, but I couldn't control them. I heard myself repeating that I didn't feel too great and needed to get home. You had too much to drink at dinner, Kevin said sternly, glaring at me. No, I didn't. I looked up at him, pained, but cut myself off. Something was happening to me, and he was in on it. I couldn't be here anymore. I have to leave. I have to leave. Once again, I heard the music drown out the other voices in the room, and each stroke of the piano keys sent sharp pains to my head. The singer's voice roared in my head, and it sounded like he was belting directly into my ear as he crescendoed. I can't feel a thing anymore. Instantly, I felt my hands and my mouth go numb. What the hell? What the hell? Panicking, I started to whimper, trying to alert Jonathan or someone who could help me. Looking up, I saw Jonathan and Kevin arguing, with Jonathan wedging himself in between me and the rest of the guys. Eventually, I heard Kevin gruffly declare, Fine. Jonathan wrapped his hands around my arms and hoisted me off the couch, and I complied. He was talking to me, but the only words I could understand were the lyrics to the vaguely eerie song complaining about the monotony of life. I could see why Kevin picked this song. We were almost to the door and the man on the speaker was nearly screaming now. My body froze as I heard him forcefully sing, There's nothing new to do in Brooklyn anymore. I looked back at Kevin. I had heard these exact words before, but he was standing motionless and unresponsive by the couch. I couldn't make out his expression. Freaking out, I squeezed my eyes shut and tried to figure out what it all meant. That's when I heard a seatbelt buckle into place next to me. I jolted up and nearly had a heart attack. Somehow, I was in Jonathan's car. My headache was even worse, but I lifted up my head to look at Jonathan as he turned on the ignition. Just hold on, Angela, he said frantically. You'll be home soon. You'll be okay. Full-blown panic gripped me now. I'd never felt anything like this, and I couldn't remember taking a single step from the apartment to the car. Beginning to feel dizzy, I rested my head back on the window. The next thing I knew, I awoke sprawled out on a bench outside near a parking lot. It looked like the one outside my apartment complex. John? I croaked nervously. He wasn't anywhere to be found. A wave of nausea washed over me and I once again closed my eyes to stop myself from throwing up. When I opened my eyes, I was in a dark bedroom. My body lay numb and I was staring up at the ceiling, but the pillows and bedsheets felt familiar. I think they were mine. I don't know when I eventually drifted off to sleep, but I awoke the next morning in my room wearing the same clothes as last night, with a terrible hangover and no recollection of what had happened after I left Mitch's apartment. My body still ached, and it was still hard to move, but I grabbed my phone off the nightstand and prepared to demand answers from Kevin. What the hell was all that about? I texted him. Call me. While I waited for his response, I strolled through my photos, texts, and social media to see if anything had happened last night, but everything looked completely normal. 
Getting impatient, I called Kevin. Six times. He didn't answer any of them. Frustrated, I opened Snapchat, but I couldn't find his contact, almost like he had deleted his account. When I opened Instagram, the same thing happened. No trace of Kevin. I went back to my camera roll and scoured it for the pictures Kevin and I took earlier this month, but they were all gone. My heart skipped a beat. How the hell? I looked at my recently deleted photos, but that folder had been deleted. I looked at my recently deleted photos, but that folder had been cleared. Crap. Something was going to happen last night that they didn't want me to know about, but I just couldn't believe my own boyfriend and brother were going to hurt me. Going back to Instagram, I tried to search for some of his friends, but I couldn't find their profiles either. Jonathan never had social media, and I couldn't find any profiles under the name Mackie either. I tried dozens more sites. Twitter, Facebook, even LinkedIn, but found no results. Eventually, I went on to one of those Yellow Pages websites and a reverse phone number site, but I couldn't find any trace of a Kevin Kirkpatrick under 30 living in Brooklyn. It's like he had completely disappeared. Should I report this to someone? I tried to think of all the details I could about his life. But he had always been so vague. He drove a black BMW. His apartment complex had the name Creek in it. But last night was the first time I'd been there and he drove us, so I couldn't remember how to get there. And he was originally from New Jersey. But other than that, I was at a loss. Screaming in frustration, I threw my pillow across the room. Defeated, I called Jonathan. He picked up on the third call, sounding anxious and annoyed. Angela, I can't talk right now. What happened? I growled into the phone. What did you guys do to me last night? Nothing, he shouted defensively. We think you just had too much to drink. Jonathan, I'm not messing around. I barely had anything last night, and I felt like I was going to die. Tell me what Kevin was planning. Jonathan paused for a moment. I could hear him thinking. We were just going to sneak into the park nearby and drink and maybe go skinny dipping in the pond, he cried angrily. It's just a little fun thing we do every time we bring someone into the group. Bullcrap. What are we? Seventeen? You guys were acting weird all night and I definitely wasn't just drunk. I decided not to tell him about Kevin disappearing or that I knew they tampered with my photos. We argued back and forth about last night, but Jonathan wouldn't budge and refused to admit I was in any danger. He claimed to not know what Kevin was up to and insisted I had more wine than I thought at the apartment. Certainly that he was lying to me. I decided to pull out the big guns. Jonathan, I'm at the hospital. The line went silent for a brief moment before he freaked out and exploded with questions. Thinking quickly, I told him I woke up choking on blood and vomit and had to go to the emergency room. The nurses think I OD'd on something, I told him, playing dumb. I need you to tell me what it is. I don't... How did I not hear the ambulance? We live in the same building. I took an Uber. It was pretty early in the morning, so you were probably asleep. I spat in an innocent yet annoyed voice. I know I'm not the best liar, but he was too paranoid to see through it. Look, you need to come help me. I don't know what to tell the nurses. I needed him out of his apartment. It was a long shot, but maybe he had something in there that could tell me what was going on. Okay, okay, just a second, he sighed. Maybe, uh, maybe someone last night brought some other drugs or something, and, or, and they somehow got into... He trailed off. 
Are you kidding me, Jonathan? I wanted to scream at him. You're still lying to me? I could be dead. They said they might get the police involved. That startled him. Okay, look. You could get in trouble too. Just lay low and be vague with the nurses. And don't say anything until I get there, okay? Bingo. What hospital are you at? I gave him the name of one 30 minutes away. He was skeptical at first, and I could hear him pacing back and forth. Jonathan, now. A nurse is coming. Crap. Okay, fine. I heard him grab his keys and rush out the door. I gotta go, I said, hanging up. Showtime. 30 minutes to the hospital, 15 minutes to run around the building only to realize I'm not there, and 30 minutes back. Practically flinging myself down the stairs, I sprinted to his door and grabbed the keys. He keeps under his doormat. Slowly, I walked around his tiny apartment. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary until I got to his bedroom. On the desk next to his laptop sat a large blue and gold photo album. Last I remember, Jonathan's never been the scrapbooking type. The book was closed but propped slightly open with a pair of scissors. Carefully, I opened the book of the blank page where he left off, and out fell several loose Polaroids. I only caught a glimpse of one of them before my jaw dropped in horror. Photos of a girl. Dozens of them. Bruised. Bound. Gagged. Stabbed. All in what I recognized to be that second bedroom. Terrified and about to vomit, I stepped back, my heart pounding. What were these pictures doing in my brother's possession? There was no way he could be behind something like this. Sure, he was a weird kid growing up, but I couldn't ever see him doing something like this. And once I collected myself, I slowly picked up the pictures. The Polaroids were small, but I could make out a slender female figure with strawberry blonde hair lying on a set of black bedsheets, her hands tied to something out of frame. Most of the photos were dark, but I could see streaks of red in each one. Horrified, I scooped them up, trying not to look too closely at them. After placing them back on the empty page where I'd found them, my curiosity got the better of me, and I flipped through the earlier pages. My heart sank, and tears welled up in my eyes. Each page, front and back, was dedicated to a different girl. There were five of them, each covered in a neat array of small Polaroids that slowly told a story about the night. While each girl varied in physical appearance, they all shared the same basic similarities. young. Somewhat attractive, naive, small enough to overpower if need be. The first photo was always the girl posing happily with one of the men. I could almost see Jason walking up to each one, innocently asking if she wanted a photo, and watching as she immediately sprung into a picture-perfect pose with the sick guy that had lured her there. Tears were now rolling down my cheek. Kevin's whole relationship with me had just been a ploy to lure me to that apartment, hadn't it? I was partly in denial. There was no way. All of the expensive dates he had taken me on, all of the grand romantic gestures he's made me, and all of the little inside jokes we formed together were all just a facade for something this heinous. My mind raced, trying to come up with some sort of justification, but I was drawing a blank. Angrily, I pulled out the loose Polaroids from what I can only assume to be last night. Sure enough, I found my own cheesy smile, along with Kevin staring back at me. Underneath the photo was the caption, Close Call.
scrawled in handwriting that wasn't Jonathan's. I was meant to be one of those girls last night, but Jonathan saved me. Hell, I sank into his bed. What am I supposed to do? Those photos had to go to the police, right? Adrenaline coursing through my veins, I went back to the album and opened it up to the first page. Immediately after the first picture of the first girl, a short, bubbly-looking Asian girl with long, straight hair, was a picture of her passed out on the couch. The next photo showed her tied down to the bed, after she had been moved to the bedroom. There was no terror in her eyes, only pain and confusion, likely due to whatever drugs they had given her. Next, I saw a photo of her zoomed out a bit, showing the whole group surrounding her. My fists clenched when I spotted Kevin and Jonathan, smiling as if they were on a beach vacation. And one of the men, the one who was posing with the girl in the first photo, was holding a knife, likely the one used to make the horribly painful slashes appearing on the girl's face and limbs in later photos. The photo succession was always the same on each page, starting with the victim incapacitated in the bedroom and showing the men of the group, including the two I thought I knew very well, committing unspeakable acts as the girl's body became more and more mutilated and unrecognizable. Each page represented a different man who had served me wine, had several pictures of him proudly showing off bruised and bloody knuckles on his page, and the horribly graphic close-up photos in Jonathan's book proudly displayed the body of a young woman covered in bruises, screaming blunt force trauma next to a worn-out yet triumphant-looking Tate receiving pats on the back from the rest of the men wearing sick, twisted grins. These sons of bitches. Were they doing this for fun? As calmly as I could, which wasn't saying much, I photographed each page with my phone. By the time I got to Jonathan's page, my throat couldn't get any tighter. He had chosen a girl who looked eerily similar to me. Her head had been smashed in with a baseball bat the bat he'd made varsity with in high school, the same bat that was propped up on the coat rack in the foyer. Fear and shock paralyzed me for a moment, but I had to keep going. I flipped to the end of the book and took pictures of the loose photos, including mine. The first photo of the girl they had brought in was captioned, Replacement. It showed her and Kevin in some sort of bar or nightclub, but I couldn't recognize which one. They both looked tired, indicating that it was late, or they'd had a couple of drinks. Kevin was wearing the same clothes he'd been wearing on our date last night, and the girl was dressed up in a sheer black dress with a face full of makeup. Her auburn hair was falling out of her updo from dancing. The rest of the photos told a similar story. Focusing on Kevin as he wrapped his hands around her neck, and the others pinned her limbs down while she panicked. A small groan escaped my mouth. I couldn't look at them anymore. That had almost been me. The last two photos showed the boys wheeling a large trash can late at night in an abandoned alley and a close-up of the girl's face resting peacefully among a pile of trash bags. I took a photo of them as quickly as I could and I slammed the book shut, sinking to my knees as images of those poor girls lingered in my mind. I had to get these photos to the police. Crouching down behind the bed to keep myself from shaking, I pulled up the notes app on my phone and began to type up my story, or at least what I'd tell the police. I'd gotten pretty far in my anecdote when I heard angry footsteps thundering outside the apartment. 
terror gripped me and I froze. Jonathan aggressively rattled the doorknob until the door violently swung open, and I had to clamp a hand over my mouth to keep my sobs from being heard. Without thinking, I dove under his bed, just as Jonathan stormed inside. He immediately halted, presumably to scan around the apartment. Hello? He called. I stayed silent, frantically opening up the internet on my phone. I need to send this message out before he gets to me. His footsteps picked up again, growing louder as he cautiously approached the bedroom. I heard the door creak open, followed by a frustrated growl. I'd left the photo album in the wrong place. He knew I was here. A few footsteps later, I heard him back in the foyer, and, to my horror, the sound of the bat dragging across the floor as he picked it up. Angela! I heard him coo. Do I come out and try to reason with him? Say I won't tell anyone? Or should I make a dash for the door? I can't stay here much longer. I hear him coming. I need a plan. There's not much time, but if you're reading this, please, please help me. Jonathan won't be as forgiving if he finds me this time. That's it. I hope you enjoyed this story. A little bit longer and a little bit creepier than the last ones, I'd say. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube and you liked it, please consider liking the video or commenting on it and letting me know what you thought. I read every comment and usually reply to most. If not, you probably get a heart. Uh, if you're listening on uh, Spotify or whatever, uh, I don't know what options you have over there other than answering the Q&A part in Spotify at least, but if you want to do more than that, we do have a Discord you can come and hang out in, or there are YouTube memberships and a Patreon just to help pay for things and help keep things going forward during these very tumultuous times. But either way, if, if that's not uh, within the budget or you know uh, what you'd look, be looking to do, then just liking the video, commenting on it is totally fine. It lets YouTube know that this stuff matters, and together, we Midnighters can rise up against our YouTube algorithm overlords. So I appreciate you stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the story. And as always, we'll see you in the next one.